Let's open our Bibles, please, to the the 12th chapter of the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 12. Now, chapters 1 through 11, we've already given you and tried to look at that in a couple of lessons. That's progressing fairly well, isn't it? In two lessons. So we want now Abraham covers uh, chapters uh, 12 through 25. And so this is a great deal uh, more of the section of the second division of this uh, section of Genesis. And so if you will, we'll start with chapter 12. Actually, if you'll drop back your eyes just a little bit in the 11th chapter, we have the family of uh, Abraham spoken of in the 11th chapter. But his call begins in the 12th chapter. So if you have the uh, 11th chapter beginning with verse 24, we will read. It says, And Nahor lived nine and twenty years and begat Terah. And Nahor lived after he begat Terah an hundred and nineteen years and begat sons and daughters. And Terah lived seventy years and begat Abram, Nahor, and Haran. So you have three. Uh, Terah was the father of Abram, Nahor, and, Ter- and Haran. And then it says uh, in verse 27, Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah begat Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran begat Lot. So Lot would be Abraham or Abram's nephew, wouldn't he? And Haran died before his father Terah in the land of his nativity in Ur of the Chaldees. And Abraham and Nahor took them wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarah. I'm going to say Abraham and Sarah sometimes, so don't. Uh, here it's Abram and Sarai. But we, we know that later on both their names were changed and Abraham, Abram was changed to Abraham. And Sarai was uh, changed to Sarah. So if I use the names that will eventually be their names in the Scripture here, well, you pardon me for that, because you get in such a habit of saying Abraham and Sarah that it's hard to to just read the Scripture and say it this way. Uh, So it says, Abram's wife was Sarah, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and the father of uh, Iscah. But Sarah was barren, she had no child. And Terah took Abram his son, and Lot his son, uh, Lot the son of Haran his son's son, and Sarah his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth uh, with them from Ur of the Chaldees to go into the land of Canaan, and they came into Haran and dwelt there. And it says, "In the days of the days of Terah were two hundred and five years, and Terah died in Haran." Now, Terah, this is. Abraham's uh, father. He died in Haran. Now, if you look at chapter 12, verse 1, we'll say some more about what we've just read in just a moment. In verse 1, it says, Now the Lord had said, you see that word had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. So this call to Abraham came before this record that we read of in the book of Genesis, the 11th chapter. Abraham, uh, God had said, the Lord had said, previous to the time they left Ur of the Chaldees. And when Abraham left Ur of the Chaldees, he took his father and and, uh, these others along with him, and Lot, his nephew. And God had called Abraham and said, Get thee out from thy country and from thy kindred. In other words, you you leave. God called Abraham alone. If you have, let me read the scripture for you in the book of Isaiah, chapter 51 and verse 2. It says, Look unto Abraham your father and unto Sarah that bear you, for I called him alone. God called him alone and blessed him and increased him. In other words, 
God did not want Abraham to bring all of his family with him. Now, it doesn't mean that Abraham didn't love all of his family, because we see later on his love even for his nephew in uh, being so close to him and delivering him out of uh, captivity and various things that happened a lot later on. But it means that Abraham himself had a divine call. Uh, in the book of Hebrews, it says, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and went out, not knowing whither he went. So as far as his own personal uh, uh, conviction to follow God, he, he was going to do that. But it seems that all the family wanted to come along with him. And, of course, certain things happened that eventually uh, they were uh, separated from him due to the circumstances of, of life and things that happened. If you'll notice... In that 11th chapter, uh, keep your Bibles open. I'll point out some things that uh, might be important to you. If you notice in the 11th chapter, verse 31, it says, And Terah took Abraham his son, and Lot his son, the son of Haran. Now, Terah means delay. And actually, when he came to Haran, there was a delay there of about uh, five years until actually Terah died. And in the natural uh, circumstances and events that happened, well, Abraham had to leave his father, of course, behind because he died, and of course, he just took Sarah, his wife, and Lot. And uh, then later on, what happened between Abraham and Lot? There was another separation, and finally, Abraham was able to be alone in that situation uh, to which God had called him uh, to do. But anyway, if you look at the 12th chapter, we see Abraham's call. Let's read down to verse 4 at least. 12th chapter, verses 1 through 4. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot, now look, and Lot went with him. And Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. That's where his father died in the previous chapter. And Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, uh, and all their substance that they had gathered, and the souls that they had gotten in Haran, and they went forth to go into the land of Canaan, and into the land of Canaan they came. And Abram passed through the land unto the place of Sychem, unto the plain of Morah. And the Canaanite was then in the land. You know, there's some things that are typical here that we need to stop and look at as we talk about Abraham's... Actually, this is Abraham uh, answering the call and progressing uh, as God had called him to progress. But I want you to notice in verse 6, you have uh, chapter 12, verse 6, he passed through Sychem, which is... Uh, shoulder or strength, that means strength, under the plain of Mora, that means a great oak, that means an oak, or actually the meaning of it is instruction, showing you that the uh, typical meaning would be that if you want to stand like a, uh, an oak and be uh, really solid and, and firm, you need uh, instruction, because that's the meaning of the name. And then it says, and the Canaanite was then in the land. This is typical of the host of Wickedness, the Canaanite. Remember, they were the cursed ones, the cursed race, according to our previous studies. And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said unto 
and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land, and there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. Now notice this altar, that which he would characterize as walk in separation with God and willingness to worship God. And he built an altar there unto the Lord who appeared unto him. And he removed from thence unto a mountain on, on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. You know, Bethel means the house of God. And Ai means a ruined world. And he, he, was, he, had, uh, he pitched his tent, showing he's a stranger and a pilgrim. And he had Bethel, the house of God, on the one hand, and a heap of ruin, a judged world, on the other hand. And it says... And there he builded an altar unto the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. You know, that's typical of a Christian. He has to put, he has a house of God on one hand and he has a ruined world on the other hand. He has to separate these two. And he has to put the ruined world as a judged, a judged world on one side of it and get it out of the way. And in verse 9, we find Abraham, the next section deals with verse 9 through the rest of the chapter, we find Abraham going down into Egypt during the famine. Now, see, first you had Abraham's family. We're trying to give you an overview. And sec second, you had Abraham's call and what he did. And the third thing, you have Abraham as he journeys, and you'll find him going down into Egypt and the things that transpire there. When you go down into Egypt, it's like going... You remember the, the Bible says in the Gospels, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. In other words, this is a journey away from God. This is a, a journey of backsliding, so to speak. And he went down from Jerusalem, that holy city, to Jericho. Jericho was the city of a curse, wasn't it? In the Gospels we're talking about. Now here, Abraham goes down into Egypt. Look at this. In verse 9, Abraham journeyed going on still toward the south. And there was a famine in the land. And Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land. Abraham, during the time of famine, went down to Egypt for his soul and for his health. And these things are typical. It doesn't mean that it was altogether out of keeping with what uh, ordinarily men would have done. If there was a famine, they might have sought greener pasture somewhere. But on the other hand, it's typical of God's people going away from God and trying to seek their security in Egypt or a type of the world. In other words, if you're a child of God, don't go out into the world and say, I'll find my security there. You cleave to the Lord and find your security there, and God knows all things that you will have need of. In the book of, let's see if it's Isaiah, I believe it is, chapter 31, verse 1, later on in, by the prophet Isaiah, the scripture says, Woe to the, uh, 31, verse 1, it says, Woe to them that go down to Egypt for help. See that? And stay on horses. The word stay means not that they stay on top of them, but they stay or trust in them. Stay on horses and trust in chariots because they are many, and in horsemen because they are very strong. But they look not unto the Holy One of Israel, neither seek the Lord. So you have in this verse a contrast between seeking solace or strength and comfort and assurance from the world, and that which you should be seeking from God. This should show us what Christians ought to do, shouldn't it? Let's go on and read the story, if you have Genesis chapter 12, and find out what happens to Abram, or Abraham, as he goes down into Egypt. This is so much lost time for him. You know, when we seek uh, to be uh, satisfaction with the world, it's like we're just spinning our wheels. It's just so much 
marked time, so much wasted time. Eventually, you're going to have to come back to the starting place, and that's back with the Lord. Now, look at this. It says, And it came to pass when he was come near to enter into Egypt. Now, Abraham, he had some some uh, vices as well as the rest of us. He had some things that were not just like they should have been in the sight of God. First of all, he's going down to Egypt for help. Even though there's a famine in the land, if he had trusted God, God would provide for him. There was a famine in Elijah's day. God provided for Elijah, didn't he? And he could have for Abraham, too, and he would have. But notice it says here, came to pass when he was come near to eat, uh, to enter into Egypt, that he said unto Sarah, his wife, Behold, now I know that thou art a fair woman to look upon. Evidently, she was very beautiful. Therefore, it shall come to pass when the Egyptians shall see thee, that they shall say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will save thee alive. He's trying to protect himself by using his wife, because she's a beautiful woman. It says, Say, I pray thee. He says, Now, Sarah, you say this. Say, I pray thee, thou art my sister, that it may be well with with me for thy sake, and my soul shall live because of thee. And came to pass that when Abram was coming to Egypt, and the Egyptians beheld the woman, that she was very fair, the princes also of Pharaoh saw her, and commended her before Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And he entreated Abram well for her sake. And he, in other words, old Pharaoh, he says, oh, I'm going to give Abraham a lot. She, he's got a beautiful sister here. I might want to marry her. You know, I might need her. So he says, I'm going to give Abraham a lot of uh, things. He gave him, it says, uh, he had sheep and oxen, he asses, and men servants and maid servants, and she asses and camels. And the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarah, Abram's wife. You see what uh, God says that Sarah was Abram's wife. Abram says she's my sister. Of course, she was a half-sister in a sense, really. But we, uh, he was taking advantage of that. But look, we'll find that later on in another instance. Because he follows the same path later on in, with old Abimelech. I believe it's in the 20th chapter. He, make, he goes right back to his old ways. He tries the same thing over again with Abimelech. You see, it seems like we never learn, do we? Abraham didn't. It took him a long while. Now, what happened? It says in verse 18, Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that thou hast done unto me? Why didst thou not tell me that she was thy wife? Why, why saidest thou she is my sister, so I might have taken her to, to me to wife? Now therefore, behold thy wife. Look at old Pharaoh. He said, Behold thy wife. Take her and go thy way. You know, sometimes when we do wrong as Christians, and we get a rebuke from the world, we deserve it. We can be wrong too, can't we? And when the world, when the worldling has to rebuke us, for hypocrisy. As a Christian, we profess things and we try to live by faith and walk by faith. And Abraham was walking by sight, depending upon the world, depending upon the riches of Pharaoh, trying to get all he could of worldly things. And he was deceitful in trying to say, Sarah, now you tell them this. We'll get a lot of good stuff. And you see what, what happened? It backfired on him, didn't it? And it's, it's sure enough going to catch up with us if we live a double standard of life. We better live true to the Lord so people can't point, point their finger at us. Of the, of people that are not even Christians can rebuke us, and sometimes we deserve it. And so uh, Abraham deserved it, didn't he? And Pharaoh really got on him. And it says in verse 20, And Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away and his wife and all that he had. Now, in the 13th chapter, Abraham comes up out of Egypt. Look at chapter 13. And Abram went up out of Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and Lot went with him into the south. See that? 
He and all that he had went up out of Egypt. I used to preach a sermon on you can't keep a good man down. Abraham went down into Egypt, but Abraham came up out of Egypt, right? Who else you couldn't keep down? Jonah went down into the belly of the whale, but Jonah came up, didn't he? And he got busy about doing what God wanted him to do. He went down. He made a mistake. Peter had a downfall, but he came back up. The prodigal son went, prodigal son went down into a far country, but he says, I will arise and go to my father and say to my father, I have sinned against heaven and against thee. So sometimes we get down, but we shouldn't stay there. We ought to return. And we have examples of that in the Bible. It says, And Abram was very rich in cattle and silver and gold. You have verse 2. Follow along. We're just going right on through. We'll flip page after page, chapter after chapter. Try to give you something here of each chapter. It says now in verse uh, 3, And he went on his journeys from the south even to Bethel unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning. I like that at the beginning. He had to come back to this place uh, between Bethel and Hai under the place, verse 4, of the altar, which he had made there. Notice the word there. He had made there at the first. And there Abraham called on the name of the Lord. That's, that's where he was. You have to come right back to the starting place. He came back between Bethel and Hai to this very place where he built the altar before he went into Egypt. Some people say, well... Well, what do I need to do to return to the Lord? Just come right back where you started. If you were ever there, come back to the Lord right where you started. Leave the world again and come back to God. That's what you have to do. And so here Abraham sets, in this, sets us an example of that. And then the next thing that happens is Abraham and Lot. Oh, here's a situation. 13th chapter, verses 5 through uh, 13. Look at Abraham and Lot here. Verses 5 through 13. This is another section. And Lot also went with Abram, his, had, and Lot also, which went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. And the land was not able to bear them, that they might dwell together, for their substance, substance was great. You know, have you ever heard people of complaining because they had too little, but they had no strife? But when you got a, a whole lot, then the strife comes. The more you get, and the more somebody wants of it. And then the more you got to fight for it. Sometimes we ought to be content with what the Lord gives us. And be thankful for it. And you see, not only was Abraham rich, but Lot was rich. They both had more cattle and herds and flocks and everything, and, and they could not dwell together. And verse 7 says, And there was a strife between the herdsmen of Abraham's cattle, Abram's cattle, and the herd, herdmen of Lot's cattle. Strife came because of it. And it says, And the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled then in the land. The Canaanite and the Perizzite. In the midst of all that, they had some trouble from the outside as well. Bad enough when you have trouble from within. Bad enough to have trouble from without and, and, and then have trouble from within, isn't it? So they had it from both sides. The Perizzite, Canaanite and the Perizzite. In verse 8 it says, And Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we be brethren. Well, at least we can give him credit for that. He wanted to... He wanted to stop all the strife and the fussing and the fuming about, uh, you know, when families get to arguing over possessions and things, it's the saddest thing in the world. It's not worth it, friends. It's not worth it to fight over things. Just give it up. So, in verse 9 it says, Is not the whole land 
uh, Abram was saying to Lot, Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if thou wilt depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. Abraham says, Whichever way you want to go, I'll go the other way. We'll separate and there will be no strife. We'll get rid of this strife. Verse 10 says, And Lot lifted up his eyes. You know, the lust of the eyes, the first thing that happens. And beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere, before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zoar. He says, Boy, this is what I want. Then Lot chose him. First he lifted up his eyes and he saw. Then he chose. He made a choice. He chose him all the plain of Jordan and Lot. Uh, journeyed east, and they separated themselves the one from the other. And Abraham dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain, and looked, and pitched his tent toward Sodom. And, the, and very shortly in the next chapter, we find that that uh, Abraham had to rescue him from Sodom. He pitched his tent toward Sodom, and then he dwelt in Sodom. See the steps downward? He looked. Then he chose, and then he headed in that direction, and then he ended up in Sodom. Isn't that typical of our human nature? We look, and we lust, and then we decide we'll choose that direction, and then we end up drifting in that direction, and finally we end up in the wickedness of that city. And that's where Lot ended up. Starts easy, doesn't it? Just looks, oh, there's nothing wrong. That's a well-watered plain. But it was towards Sodom. Well, he chose. Then he made a choice. He chose him, that plane. And then he pitched his tent toward that way. And he headed in that direction. And then finally ended up there. That's the way it goes. You know, a lot of people don't intend to start out, to end up in, in wickedness when they first start. Just gradually take another step. Another step in the wrong direction. And eventually that's where you end up. So, what? Keep your eyes on the Lord. Turn to the Lord and keep your eyes on the Lord, and then you won't end up that way. When you start out right, you you, you more likely will end up right. I remember in the Navy when we uh, march on the drill fields, you know, and the Army to do the same thing. You march out there, and you start up off on the right foot, which is the left, by the way. <laughs> and then, if you start out, you end up right. But then... Uh, you, uh, if you get started wrong, it's hard to get back in step. I've seen guys out there just skipping and trying to get the other foot going so they get back in step. And so anyway, you have a problem, don't you? So if you start out right and keep going right, you can continue and finish right. And that's what we should do in life, start out right. Children need to start out right. Boys and girls, young people. Get your life straightened out early. Get, get in the right step early in life. And when you do, just keep on. And people may make fun of it and accuse you of being straight and et cetera and so forth. And uh, trying to keep time and being legitimate and following the uh, beaten path and so on. And they want you to get off the beaten path. Well, so what? If it's already there and it's the path of the just, it's as a shining light that shineth more and more to the perfect day. Get on that right path and stay there. Just stay there. All right, let's go and see what happened. In verse 13, But the men of Sodom, it says, were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. See that? So what happened? Lot ended up there with all the wicked and sinners. 
and the very we'll find some of the weaknesses as we progress along in the book of Genesis. Look at the last part now. God blesses Abraham. God promises Abraham the land in verses uh, 15. Uh, let's see. Verses 14, rather. Through the rest of the chapter. Through 18, he promises. Now, what did God say to Abraham? Now, remember where Lot is. Lot's in the wicked city of Sodom. Now, where's Abraham? The Lord said unto Abram, after that Lot was separated from him, Lift up now, now thine eyes. You know, sometimes if you want to just circle words or underline words. He didn't say this when Lot was with him. But he says, Lift up now thine eyes and look from the place where thou art, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed after thee forever. To thy seed forever. And I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. Arise, walk through this land in the length of it in the, and in the breadth of it, for I will give it unto thee. God says, you just arise and walk through it and claim it. You just look, look it over. You take possession of it. Then Abram removed his tent and came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, which is in Hebron, and built there an altar unto the Lord. In the 14th chapter, you'll find Abraham has to rescue Lot from the wickedness of the city. I won't read all the first part of it because we find that there were there was an alliance of, uh, in verse 9 it says, four kings with five in a, in a kind of a alliance with one another. There were four kings that were fighting against five kings. And I'll pick it up with verse uh, 10, chapter 14, verse 10. Here's where Abraham has to rescue Lot from the wicked, uh, from uh, captivity. Now look at this. Verse 10, And the veil of Siddim was full of slime pits, and the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled and fell there. And they that remained fled to the mountain. And they took uh, all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their victuals and went their way. And they took Lot, Abram's brother's son, here you are, who dwelt in Sodom. Tells you where he lived now, doesn't it? And his goods and departed. And there came one that had escaped and told Abram the Hebrew, for he dwelt in the plain of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Ishkal, the brother of Aner, and these were confederate with Abram. And when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive. Now, I want you to notice something. When Abram heard that his nephew, no, his brother. Now, Lot was his nephew, wasn't he, really, by marriage. But Abraham calls him a brother. You see, he was so close to him, and he says, and when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, this is who he's talking about. He's talking about Lot. And right on down, it speaks again uh, in verse 16. We'll read it on down. You'll get it. Uh, when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his trained servants, born in his own house, 318, and pursued them unto Dan. There's 318 of his hired servants against this army. And he divided himself against them, he and his servants, by night, and smote them and pursued them to Hobah which is on the left hand of Damascus. And he brought back all the goods and also brought again his brother Lot. You see the statement? His brother Lot. Well, now, Lot was actually, again, we repeat, his nephew. But you see, there's a certain relationship that uh, children of God have with one another. And we believe that at least Abraham was considering him more than just a nephew. That he was really, though he was his nephew by flesh and blood, he was a brother as well. And his goods and the women also and the people. And then we find the next section of this chapter has to do with Abraham and Melchizedek. You remember Melchizedek is spoken of as a priest 
king and priest of the Most High God. Let's read it. Beginning with verse 17, it says, And the king of Sodom went out to meet him after uh, his return from the slaughter of Chedorlaomer, and the kings that were with him at the valley of Sheba, which is in the king's dale. And Melchizedek, Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him. That means he blessed Abram. And said, Bless, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand. And he gave him, this is Abraham, he gave him, that is Melchizedek, tithes of all. He recognized him as the priest. And Abraham gave him tithes of all that he had taken by what he had done. And the king of Sodom and uh, said unto Abram, Give me the persons and take the goods to thyself. Now, the king of Sodom was trying to offer Abram gifts and money and etc. And Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted up mine hand unto the Lord, the Most High God, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take from uh, I will not take from a thread even to a shoe latchet, and that I will not take anything that is thine, lest thou shouldst say I have made Abraham rich. See, Abraham says, you just keep your gifts. Sometimes Christians need to know when to accept gifts and when not to. Certainly, if a brother or sister or someone that loves us and cares for us wants to show their love and appreciation, we should accept it and thank God and bless and ask God's blessings upon them. But on the other hand, if someone uh, from the outside is trying to uh, use you and give you bribes and gifts and try to uh, obtain favor by just giving you things, there's a time that you need to say, no, I, I have plenty. Hey, that's what Abraham said. He said, I've got enough. I don't need it. And he didn't. Why didn't he need it? He didn't need it because he had the Lord. And you know the Lord is better than all gifts from the ungodly. It doesn't make any difference uh, who wants to give you what. If it comes from the wrong source, you refuse it. But if God sees to it that your children, uh, His children, want to share with the blessings that He's bestowed upon them and they give it in love and concern, then certainly it's a different matter altogether. And that's the way we should accept it. And he says in verse... Uh, he goes on to say that the ones that had fought, He let them keep what they had for their, uh, for their needs that they had. He says in verse uh, 24, Save only that which the young men have eaten and the portion of the men which went with me, Anner, Eschol, and Mamre. Let them take their portion. Now in the 15th chapter, you have another thing happening. Abraham gets a call from God. The Lord speaks to him. God speaks to Abraham. In chapter 15, verses 1 through 21, the whole chapter, we won't read it all, but I, I just want to read a little portion of it, just the first part of the 15th chapter. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. Isn't it amazing that just at the time that God's people need to be lifted up, God comes to them in some way and speaks to them. Just at the time you're at your lowest, God comes through His word and He speaks to you and lifts you up. Just at the time that, that you need mostly and most desperately, his presence, that's when he comes. He says, what did he say? I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. He didn't say this reward that you could have gotten from Sodom and from the king of Sodom, you should have taken that because you don't have anything else. He says, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. 
In other words, I believe that he was showing Abraham that he made a wise decision in refusing everything that this king wanted to give him. Because he says, I'm your reward now. When we find our reward in, in the Lord himself and know that his presence and his guidance and the way he prospers our lives is far better than the way we could obtain prosperity by wicked sources or, or from wicked men, then we see that it's the best. And that's the way we ought to accept it. And Abraham said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless, and the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus? And Abraham said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. Now verse 5 and 6. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars. Remember the first time he says, This land, and he says, Look to the, uh, the your seed shall be as the sands of the sea. Now he says, Look to the stars. Now he's, he's talking about a different aspect. The first had to do with his physical seed, his physical posterity. This talks about his spiritual posterity. Look now toward the heaven and tell the stars, if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. Now look, verse 6. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. Abraham believed this spiritual promise, and God says, I'm going to impute my righteousness to you by faith, because of your faith. And do you know, the Bible tells us in the last part of the fourth chapter of the book of Romans that what God said right here to Abraham was not written for his sake alone, that he believed on him and God imputed it to him and counted it to him for righteousness, but for our sakes also. Now listen, the last two verses of Romans chapter 4. If we believe on him who was delivered for our offenses and raised again for our justification, then what? God's righteousness shall be imputed to us. See, God takes this same thing here, and the Apostle Paul uses it to apply it to how we have faith in Christ who was delivered for our offenses, raised for our justification, and God counts us righteous when we believe on him. He takes the same incident. And says it was not written because of just merely for Abraham's sake alone. Now quickly, the latter part of this chapter has to do with God confirming this promise to Abraham by Abraham offering a sacrifice to God and God accepting that sacrifice. But in the 16th chapter, I want you to notice, Sarah becomes impatient. Now, if you remember... In the 15th chapter, verse 3, Abraham, uh, uh, God said, And Abraham said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my own house is mine heir. And in verse 4 it says, And be, behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth uh, out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. He promised him a seed. He promised him an heir from his own house. And he didn't mean Hagar either, as Sarah uh, thought she had to intervene and, and give uh, Abraham her uh, handmaid so that, uh, that she would bear a son to Abraham. And therefore, there would be an heir in the house. But God meant that he would give Abraham and Sarah a son. But you know, sometimes we get so impatient we can't depend upon God. We say, Lord, I've got to take matters into my own hands. 
Remember later on that happens to old what? Rebecca does that for Jacob and I mean uh, Jacob and Esau, the situation there. Isaac and Rebecca and and when the time comes for Jacob to be blessed and God had already predicted he would be, but you know, old Rebecca said, We gotta do something about this, so she tried to work it out, it would have been that way anyway. And it ended up by their deceit that they brought the blessing upon Jacob instead of Esau. But they didn't have to because God had said, Jacob have I chosen, right? And he said, the elder shall serve the younger. And he had already made up his mind what he was going to do. But men sometimes try to take things in their own hands. If God gives us a promise, do we have to try to finagle and work a scheme out to make it happen? That's what a lot of people do. You know, we have to get our hands in the middle of it and say, well, uh, since that's the way it's going to be, I'll have to see to it. We don't have to see to anything. If God makes a promise, he's going to keep it. But we muddy the waters a lot of times, don't we? And that's what Sarah did. And she had to pay for it. If you read the story here, let, let's read it. And I don't know how far we'll get, but I want us to begin to read the 16th chapter. Remember, at the end of the 25th chapter, uh, in 25th chapter, we come to the end of Abraham. But I want to cover as much of Abraham tonight as I can. But look at the 16th chapter of Genesis. Now, Sarah, Abram's wife, bare him no children. And she had a handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said unto Abram, Behold, now the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. Uh, I pray thee, go in to my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarah. Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, maid, the Egyptian, after uh, Abram had dwelt uh, in the land of Canaan, uh, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan, I should say, and gave her to her husband. And it says, Abram to be his wife. And he went in unto Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. And Sarah said unto Abram, My wrong be upon thee. I have given my maid into thy bosom. And when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes. The Lord judged between me and thee. She made a mistake, didn't she? And Abram said unto Sarah, Behold, thy maid is in thy hand. Go uh, do to her as it pleaseth thee. And when Sarah dealt hardly with her, she fled from her face. The angel of the Lord found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness, by the fountain in the way of to serve, to sure rather. And he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, whence camest thou? And whither wilt thou go? And she said, I flee from the face of my mistress, Sarah. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Return to thy mistress, and submit thyself into her hands. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, I will multiply thy seed exceedingly, that it shall not be numbered for multitude. The angel of the Lord said unto her, Behold, thou art with child, and shall bear a son, and shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord hath heard thy affliction. And he will be a wild man. His hand will be against every man, and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. You want to know where all the trouble comes from back over there in uh, Iraq and in Palestine? Here's where it started. Ishmael and, I, and Isaac. This son by Hagar, he'll be a wild man. His hand will be against every man and every man's hand against him. And it's kept on till this very day. And she called the name of the Lord that spake unto her, Thou God seest me. For she said, Have I also here looked after him that seeth me? Wherefore, the well was called Ber-Laharoi. Behold, it is between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bare Abram a son. And Abram called his son's name, which Hagar bare Ishmael. And Abram was fourscore and six years old when Hagar bare Ishmael to Abram. 
He was 86 years old. Four score and six years old. And then, when Abraham was 99 years old, 13 years later, so Ishmael would be 13 years old by this time. It says in the 17th chapter, And when Abram was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. And I will make uh, my covenant between me and thee and will multiply thee exceedingly. And Abraham fell on his face and God talked with him saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee and thou shalt be a father of many nations. Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but uh, thy name shall be called Abraham. For a father of many nations have I made thee and I will make thee exceeding Fruitful, and I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee, and thy seed after thee, and their generations, for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee, and to thy seed after thee. And I will give unto thee, and to thy seed after thee, the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God.